Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Take uh, your Bible and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 3 as uh, we continue in the series on this book that is often uh, filled with great mystery. We've, uh, this is our fourth message. If you've not gotten the previous messages or you were out of town or missed, they are available in the back on CD or, as uh, Jay has mentioned, uh, some of them are even available now on the blog. Uh, I'm asking the question, or I'm making the comment in the title, Life Often Seems Insane. It often seems absolutely and totally insane. Have you ever noticed that? It does. When I was in college as a student, a humorous movie came out starring Jack Nicholson. I wonder if you ever saw it. He was an inmate, and it was the... (laughs) Some of you guys know it right away. It was one flew over the... Hey, we didn't see our verse. You all said that so well, and we didn't even say our verse. Let's stop right here, okay? Psalm 135.6. Let's say it together, all right? The Lord does whatever pleases Him in the heavens, on earth, in the sea, and all their depths. Psalm 135, verse 6. All right. You did so well with one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Your unison there reminded me we didn't do our verse. But you all saw that. That was funny, uh, as I recall. And, uh, but, you know, our world often seems like that. It seems like the inmates are running the asylum. Have you noticed that? Maybe you've thought that about your boss. Maybe your, bo- your employees have thought that about you or your teacher or uh, in your home, or neighborhood, or, I mean, it just seems like, sometimes in government, you hear what comes out, you go like, what was that? You know, what was that? (laughs) The inmates are running the asylum. It seems that way. Insanity seems to abound. Well, last time, uh, Solomon, in our study, told us, and we saw that God has an all-encompassing plan. It includes all people, and all events, at all times, And God has designed this from eternity past in his eternal counsels and decrees. God isn't like the Buffalo Bills, uh, the great team of the 90s. Uh, The quarterback comes up to under the center and he sees the defense. He goes, oh my, I wasn't expecting this. I'd better call an audible. God is not like that. There's no audibles. There's no plan B with God. It's all plan A. We talked about that when we introduced the book of Ecclesiastes, that God has a storyline from A to Z, from beginning to end, and we can't often figure it out. And we said with that that God owes us no explanation. And sometimes I think wrongly about that. We think when we get to heaven, God's going to take us into the back room and put his arm around and say, hey, listen, let me tell you everything I was going to do. Listen, God owes us no explanation. He's the potter or the clay. He's given us life. 
We're to love him, serve him with all our life. Whether life seems upside down, and it does at times, or whether it seems like it's a total blackout, and it does at times, and at times our tears, our eyes are filled with tears and they stream, and it does at times. I'm thankful that's not the totality of life. There are other times. There are mountain peak times and much of life is lived between the valleys and the peak, and God has orchestrated all of that for his glory, that we might enter into his joy. Well, Solomon presented so clearly the plan of God. This truth ought to provide us, that is, God's sweet sovereignty, uh, with great comfort. It is often said it's the soft pillow for a weary soul, that God is king and sovereign and reigns. It's not Washington, D.C., I'm sorry to tell you that, or Harrisburg. Aren't you glad of that? That doesn't rule and reign. It's God himself. They're his minions and and servants, and we're glad for government. That's a part of God's sphere. Before the flood, there was no human government. Times are bad now, but they could be worse with wicked men killing and breaking and maiming and destroying. And not only that, have you ever looked at the dinosaurs and all that that roamed the earth? You'll be glad that some things are certainly gone forever, the Tyrannosaurus Rex and others and all of that. But God today is as human government, as his servants, Romans 13. But he is sovereign and sits on the throne, and we're glad for that. Yet, the question may be asked, if God is in control, and he is, how can I trust him? when so much of our world borders absolute insanity, or so it seems. How can the plan of God encompass all of this of life? It does seem to be a Humpty Dumpty world. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Oftentimes when I teach Psalm 73, I introduce it that way because it really describes the brokenness of our world and the fact that nobody, no human being can put it back together again. It is a Humpty Dumpty world in which you and I live in, often upside down. Well, the plan of God includes inequity. It does, and even insanity at points. But remember, God, uh, though we, we cannot see God's total plan, bits and pieces of it at best, do not think that, that he doesn't have a plan. He does, and it's all-encompassing, according to the Word of God. Well, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to look today, we're going to, and then move into 4, 316 to 416, as we move through this Hebrew poetic uh, 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 portion of the uh, Old Testament, we're going to make six observations that could prevent you from believing that God really has a sovereign plan. I don't like to preach a message with six points. I used to, Todd might remember it, I, I used to teach, never do it. And this is greatly the exception. Don't tell anyone I've done this, Todd. But with its six, you're thinking, we should have packed a lunch. We may be here all day. No, we can't stop and camp out on each one of these. So we're going to move along. But this is the deal. This is what Solomon does. After he he looks at all of light after he, he, uh, uh, he presents last time God's marvelous plan. 
Now, what he does and what we're going to look at today is he, he just does kind of a 360, and he looks around at the life and the world as he sees it. And he's going to say through this section over and over again, I saw, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw. You'll see that. He's, he's observing. And he says, man, it's all messed up. This is one insane world we live in. God is in control, but man, I can't make rhyme or reason out of it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. At times, uh, uh, bad people win. It's like Tommy Nelson. I read in this book. Tommy Nelson was saying he was at the, at the uh, down, as uh, a pastor from Denton, uh, uh, Barb, uh, Bev and Paul know of him and uh, their, their son and so on, uh, uh, knows him and spent time down there and daughter-in-law. And Tommy made the comment. He said to the guy in the locker room, I bought, it makes me laugh, he said to Tommy, he said, oh, hey, he said, hey, Tommy, don't you know that bad guys finish last? No, don't you know that good guys finish last? And Tommy said, yeah, that may be true, but bad guys, they go to hell. <laughs> no, that's not bad. You think about that if you're ever putting your golf shoes on and somebody makes a comment knowing you're a Christian, right? Good guys finish last. Bad guys, that may be true, but bad guys go to hell. That's our world. And so that's what he's going to make. And so six observations, Solomon finds that, that God has, in, a, in an essence, someone said, rigged life. So that we have to trust him totally, even though it doesn't make sense to us. If you look through your, your outline, and hopefully you got an outline, you'll note the six. Uh, one is injustice, the second is death, the third Solomon sees is oppression, the fourth is materialism, the fifth is misplaced priorities, and lastly, a total lack of loyalty. What's, people are so fickle. They love you one moment, they don't the next. doesn't matter whether you're a baseball star or the king, you know. It, it matters not. That's the fickle day in which we live in. It just seems all messed up in this asylum, in this post-Genesis 3 world. Well, in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3 begins with injustice. Solomon notices, rightfully so, that often injustice prevails, even in places where it ought not to be. Look what he says in 16. Ecclesiastes 3, and, 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 and I saw, here he is looking, and I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of justice, wickedness was there. And I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. Injustice. I mean, we do not live in a perfect world. Have you noticed that? Inequity, injustice seems to be the rule of the day. I mean, uh, Solomon tells that uh, even the courts, in places where arbitration, places where justice ought to take place, oftentimes it doesn't. I always get thrown, uh, Janae's not here today, but I always get thrown when, when uh, a, a lawyer will say, well, courts, we don't deal with truth. That really shakes you if you have a firm grasp of truth and truth ends in the person of Christ. Well, courts don't do that. We don't, we don't deal with truth so much. Uh, you know, like, well, what are you doing then? What, what's the matter with our legal system? And it isn't. A lot of it, it's filled with whoever has the best lawyer. And if you can't even be represented in the, in the art of the deal and all the rest, inequity, right? 
and equity. And one of the great running backs in the Buffalo Bills was O.J. Simpson. You ever read anything about his life in regards to the court? I mean, he was found not guilty. We used to say that. He was found guilty in civil court, or whatever they called it. But there are a lot of folks thought like that was a gross perversion of justice. I mean, it was a fiasco. I was glad when it was over. Um, do you remember that? How many of you thought he was guilty? Anybody here? Look at that. Look, boy, if you were on the jury, it would have been a different outcome. Wow. Injustice. And the Brown family and the loss of their daughter and, and all that horrible, horrible thing. But that's not the only injustice in, in our judicial system that has ever taken place. How about the uh, millions upon millions of uh, defenseless little unborn babies? Some group of judges one day in 1973 uh, decided in January on a 7-2 ruling that... Uh, the unborn baby was somehow less than human. And because of that, in our country, over 40 million, 48 million, whatever it's been, have been, been evacuated from the womb even before they breathe their first breath. It's a travesty. It's wickedness. It's injustice. It's injustice. You know, that's the beauty of our country. They don't throw us in jail when you take your Bible and rightfully understand God's Word, and you make a statement against government, so that's evil. I'm glad we're able to do that. I'm glad we are and not be taken down and thrown in the clink. And, but it, is a, it was an evil decision, and we continue with it. Uh, all in the name of a woman's right over her body. That's, that's a horrible thing. Really, it is. It's injustice. Nobody asks the little babies, hey, do you want to be born? It's a terrible thing. I hope you never stop praying for a reversal of that, a grassroots moving of God's Spirit, the hearts and lives of people. That's it. It's not politically from the top, although God may bring that about, but it's really more people coming to know Christ and then voting in people that represent them, even as Barbara's mentioned with the coming election day, and then the appointment of the judiciary, low judges all the way up to the Supreme Court. I hope you never get used to that and yawn at that. It's a travesty. It's part of you know, we, uh, the whirlwind in our country. Oh, man, injustice. And Solomon's saying, look, even in places where it ought not to be, like courts, it's, it's upside down. God uh, instituted human courts with judges. It's places where justice should be found, and it's not. Well, B, he tells us not to be dismayed. He jumps ahead, that is Solomon, Verse 17, and he, say, he reminds us that there's coming a day when all the wrongs will be right. There's a day of judgment coming. Uh, don't ask, and I encourage you, don't ask, why does God not punish evil? Don't ask that now. I mean, if God instantly punished evil, I mean, we feel like he ought to do that sometime, right? If somebody cuts you off driving down Trindle Road, you know, that all of a sudden they ver veered off and hit a streetlight. Well, there, there, you got yours, you know? Justice, justice. Be careful of it. Be careful because it would happen to you and me too. If we ever said something that was unkind, you know, our tongue could turn green instantly. Mm -hmm. Or we lusted after something, another person, a man or woman, right? And our hair fall out. I mean, we live in that world, so be careful about that. I read Ananias and Sapphira, and I see what God did there at the beginning of the church there in Acts 5, and I go like, wow, 
See, God struck them dead. They lied to the Holy Spirit. We go like, wow. And then I can't wait for the day when justice prevails totally. But if that happened now, I don't think there'd be anybody here today. (laughs) This guy wouldn't. And none of us would be here. And we like, "Mm, that's it. You're out of here. And we probably would have been out of here a long time ago. There'd been no one here to paint yesterday. That would be our world, right? That would be it. So be careful about that. The question really is not, and don't ask, why does God not punish evil? Rather, it's why does he not, why does he not punish it now? The fact that God is forbearing and patient and waiting. It's an incredible statement. God is long-suffering. He suffers before a world filled with godlessness and evil. God and to God, and the day is coming when all people will face God as judge in the final judgment. If you are a believer in Christ, you will face God, the Lord Jesus Christ, at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. And you'll give an account for yourself, for all that God has given you, gifts and abilities and time and talent, for how you used it. If you use it for his glory, you will receive reward and responsibility forever. But wherein you didn't, it would be a time of crying, a time of remorse. I really believe that. It's not just an awards chapel at the end of a school year. Everyone wins, you know, <laughs> kind, of, kind of the modern-day attitude of baseball. Everybody gets a trophy, you know, <laughs> kind of like, what's this? I remember when our kids played soccer. They gave trophies out to everybody. You know what that meant? It didn't mean anything. I want to know who really won, you know. <laughs> it's, it's not an awards chapel. It's a review. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, there's another judgment that's coming later. Revelation chapter 20. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. If you don't know Christ and you die in your sin, you will, you will be taken to hell forever. And before and a part of that process... You'll be, uh, stand before Christ and give an account, and before you'll be cast into the lake of fire. And that's Revelation chapter 20. Horrible. But that's the day God will correct the injustice. Second, Solomon looks at, verse 18 to 21, is death. It appears as if man, through Solomon's eyes, is no different from the animals. He writes in 18 through 21, I also thought, as for men, God tests, God tests them so that they can see that they're like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. That is, as one dies, so the other dies. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. It's the word habel. Breath, void, vanity. All go to the same place. He's referring to the, to the grave. All come from dust, and all return from dust. You've heard of that, some of the old-style funeral services, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It comes right from that verse, right there. Who knows, Solomon writes, if the spirit of man rises upward at death, or if the spirit of the animal goes downward into the earth. So I saw that there's nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that's his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Death, Solomon says, as I look around in this land of the dying, it doesn't seem to make any difference, man or beast. We all end up uh, as a part of death and dust. It tells us in A that God is testing 
men and women everywhere, so that we might recognize our great need and quickly repent. For it shows us of our weakness, our frailness, our infirmity, even unto death, our frailty, that we might not think of ourselves as all-powerful and all-great and almighty little gods, as it were. We're not. We're not. We're creatures made in God's wonderful image. B, it's true that man and beast do share some common things. We live in God's world. We breathe uh, the common air. That's a strange thought, isn't it? Uh, you know, the cow exhales, but you may breathe uh, its air. <laughs> or other type animals. We share the common air uh, as air-breathing uh, creatures of, of God made to live and dwell on, on land and planet Earth. Uh, both are from the dust, and that's true. We breathe the same air, and we suffer the same fate. That's death. And it's uh, quite humiliating. I saw one day my cat, uh, who, I had, who I was actually born Mother cat was in our home, and uh, Sam was born in our house and was there for a lot of years, and it was kind of like my cat growing up. And some of you didn't know that, Sam, your dog, Sam. But uh, and I, I, was, uh, I was there. I came home from college when Sam died. And uh, I'd been there all those years and uh, shed some tears and then uh, dug a little grave in the garden. Had a uh, piece of my life there, about 10 years and buried Sam in the garden in the back. Just like people, animals and people. That's what Solomon's saying. As I look around, not only do I see injustice, but everything ends at the cemetery. This is crazy. This is nuts. And yet animals and, and men and women are different. We, care, we share commonalities, but uh, there is differences as well. If God has a beautiful plan and men and women are special, and we are, why do we die like the beast? It's odd. It's weird. He's saying that there's something within us that uh, knows that there's far more intuitively, that we're made in God's image and, and that we're made for eternity. We saw that last time. Uh, we live thinking tomorrow, 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 the next, the next, and beyond. We have that likeness of God within us. We have our day tam timers and we plan way out. And we said that. Your dog has never done that. Your parakeet is not hoping for some, something special for Christmas this coming year. It's never had a thought about it. Never. Your dog is, uh, doesn't lay in front of the fireplace contemplating the philosophy of life. And what does it all mean? What's it all mean, Elfie? He's never had a thought. He's clueless. And men and women are totally different. And yet we share common things, but we share the commonality of death. And it's important. It's absurd. It's upside down. It's almost insane is what he's saying. It's insane. We yearn for far more than this. Wow. That's what he's talking about. Well, see, without hearing God's revelation, God's word, he's saying, does the spirit go up? Does it go down? Who can say, listen, and apart from God's wonderful word, we don't know. It is God in his word who has said, absent from the body, it is for a Christian to be present with the Lord. We saw a beautiful moon the other night. Oh, it was gorgeous. Did you see it? Full moon? Beautiful. I'm telling you, you could land your back and look at the moon until you die. 
And you'd never find the answer to that. God has not given the answer to the hereafter in natural revelation, in the creation. He's not done it. You can look at the Big Dipper all you want. It'd be a dip to do it because you'd never find out uh, what God said in this Word. It won't give you any answers. It's God's Word that tells us uh, specifically what happens at death about the glory of heaven, the prepared place, the horror of hell, the place of animals, and what life's all about. And if God didn't tell us that, we'd be in a heap of trouble, stumbling about in absolute darkness. And so Solomon reiterates, don't let what you cannot understand keep you from enjoying life. Look, most of it you can't. And if God were to tell you, let's say he did take you aside and told you, now this is, Terry, what I'm doing here. I'm going to tell you everything. You couldn't handle it. We said that last week, you know, in the military, they said a top secret thing. I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you, right? God could tell you, but you would be so overwhelmed, your brain would completely short circuit. You'd have all kinds of other problems. You'd never be able to listen. Don't allow what you cannot understand. And can I say, it's most of life in the fallen world. Rob you from enjoying the life that God has given you in Christ. Last week we talked about, uh, you know, in the midst of this, go and have some ice cream. Rocky Road. Have two dips of Rocky Road, I got to ask. Because Faith all day long kept saying to me on Sunday, her pastor kept talking about ice cream. So we had to go out and get ice cream. How many of you ate ice cream last Sunday? Raise your hand if you're proud. Look at that. There are some unbelievers in the house of the Lord. Only eight or nine did what the pastor said. What are we going to do there? Yeah, that's in a way of saying, right, enjoy life. God wants you to. He's pleased when you do. Even though you can't connect all the dots. Did you ever do that? Connect all the dots with your kids, you know, you draw, oh, it's a person. I didn't know that. You know, there you go. You cannot connect all the dots. There's injustice, there's death, and sometimes it comes very much a surprise. Don't let what you cannot understand, which is most of it, all right, rob you from the joy of the things that God has given to you. Psalm is going to reiterate that over and over and over again in this great, great book. Only God can help us to understand what lies beyond. Well, the third is oppression. Move into chapter 4, verses 1 and 3. He quickly looks over and he sees people suffering. Imagine that. Many are caused to suffer by the hands of the wicked. Look, he's going to use the word saw again. And again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed. They have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who've already died are happier than the living who are still alive. Better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Oppression is the third thing that Solomon, looking around, says, man, this is a suffering world. Not only injustice at high levels, it shouldn't be, and death, and sometimes it's a surprise, but man, there's a lot of tears and sadness and sorrow. Wow, this is good. You mean God controls this world? It's, this can't that makes sense. The inmates are running the asylum. A, uh, he says, uh, Man may do all sorts of things to, uh, to another, to 
to injure them, to hurt them, uh, to, uh, to hurt their, his or her property, or to hurt his or her good name, and to soil it. One may uh, misuse his position of authority to do abuse. We see that, don't we? Rulers, the idiomenes of the world, brutal despots, kill millions of their own people, brutally hack them. The Mao Zedongs, uh, the Stalins, the Hitlers, uh, these types, just, uh, they misuse their, their, their leadership, their governmental position to squeeze people and hurt them and maim them and kill them. That's our world. That's the world we live in. It's, uh, it's filled with all sorts of oppression, political prisoners and the like. Not only uh, those who are rulers, but bosses can be like that. They can be tyrannical in their expectation and demeaning. And you and I need, uh, need to have a job, and we need to pay the light bill, and, uh, and, and all of that, and, and the abuse that sometimes that you, you uh, endure and others endure through bosses. And not only rulers, but teachers can be that way. And parents can be. Ought never be, but sometimes parents that are sinful that need to be saved, and you read about it in the paper, can be abusive of children. Some of these things that Joe mentioned uh, down there in Texas, and it sounds like some of it uh, was abuse of young girls that uh, didn't know very much, and, and, and old guys uh, and having spiritual marriages and having sexual relations. That's, that's gross abuse. That's gross abuse. And, and all sorts of that. That's the, the, the world we live in. And it, it, it's just, it just about does you in at points when you think about it. The oppressors, Solomon's right in verse 1, they have the power and they leverage it to their advantage. They prey upon the helpless, the weak, and the poor at times, uh, causing a flood of tears. Well, to make matters worse, Solomon notes that oftentimes the victims have no comforter at all. None. One of the reasons why uh, yeah, I loved as a kid the DC comic book Superman was he was always uh, to help the victims, right? He would swoop in there and catch the bullets with his hands. I love that when Clark Kent did that. They'd shoot the bullets and then he'd hand them the, the bullet. Don't, kids, don't try that at home. He'd hand that to them. Or the, they'd bounce off his chest, you know. And, and when I was, you know, seven, I'd have a cape and be. You know, it would be fun to see that now, jumping around and pretending I was Superman, right? To defend the, the, those that uh, were without any comfort or any, any, any strong man to provide uh, protection and comfort and deliverance. And Solomon's right that uh, when we look at our world, there are no supermen for a lot of folks. They just kind of get plowed under and buried in trenches of unmarked graves. It's terrible. It's terrible. No comforter, no deliverer, no one to seem to help. Almost hopeless. Almost hopeless to the point where, number one, under that, at times death seems to be a better option than even living. That's what he's saying. When he says uh, I declare, in verse 2 of four, chapter 4, I declare that the dead who have already died are happier than the living who are still alive. Death, in the midst of such terrible oppression, in, in all of that, without a deliverer, death seems a better option. Suicide. End it all. And you and I have uh, no doubt known folks who, through the ups and downs in life, and usually it's the downs of life, take their life. 
It's a terrible thing. It is a sin. Suicide is self-killing, murder. It's not the unforgivable sin. Thank the Lord there, there isn't that. The only unforgivable sin is not receiving Christ the Lord as your Savior. That's the only unpardonable sin. Make sure you get that right. There are a lot of people that are, wonder about that. But suicide, when things are really down in the dumps and you think, I'm hopeless, there's nothing else I can do and to take one's life. I remember uh, there was a girl in my class years ago, her name was Vicki. She's a cute girl, young age, you know. And her dad was out of work. The local fac- factory laid off again. And he had two or three children, as I remember. They lived over oh, four or five blocks. And uh, <clears throat> my father knew him. In fact, he had, he had uh, been one of my father's uh, uh, clients uh, of sorts and knew he was out of work. And my father w- had given him some work to do. The man needed uh, money to care for his family. And uh, my father made work, actually, for him. And I, re- I just, it's funny how you remember. And things come back. A lot of things don't come back, if you notice that. But some things do come back. And I, I remembered when uh, he came to the house and he gave uh, the work to my father. My father paid him. I, 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 was okay. I just happened to be there. And I saw that take place. And then within uh, two weeks, as I remember, he killed himself. He killed himself. And uh, I just, I'll never forget that. He, he thought his family would be better off to collect his, I think he had $40,000 in that day in life insurance. That they were better off without him because of what life had dealt him. He got a raw deal, and he just left. So sad. We were just filled with tears. And I remember that poor girl never recovered. Uh, She was never the same. There's a stigma attached to that. I've talked to folks as a pastor of those that thought death was better than life. And, you know, do you have the means? You know, I always ask that. And if they've thought about that, be careful. They're not far. But to urge people, you know, in their, in their depression and in their hopelessness to read the Word and be around people that love the Lord and be focused on Christ because that is not the best option. That's the guy who's out of option and is thinking wrongly. And the, as a matter of fact, your family, and I've told them, will never recover from the guilt. They won't. They'll feel like they should have done something more to help, in that case, dad. Death. But oppression does that. Tears, hopelessness. There's no reason to live. Solomon's right. I looked. Not only injustice, but death, but tears, a stream of it, and no deliverer. That's the world we live in. It seems like the inmates... Uh, are running the asylum. Terrible. Listen, uh, Solomon intimates that if you're alive, somebody, sometime, is going to hurt you unjustly. I'd be surprised if they haven't already. I'm sure it's happened to you. I'm sure it's happened to me multiple times. I'm sure it's happened to you. Don't be surprised. Don't put the game away. Pack it up at that point. Keep your eyes fixed upon the Lord. Do not let what you cannot understand, rob from you the joy that God wants you to 
enjoy even in this life that is filled with gross inequity. Uh, the fourth is materialism, verses 4 to 6. Solomon con continues to scan around at the world of his day, and he's, he sa tells us that most seem driven by envy to accumulate more and more stuff. This rivalry, this, uh, the Jones have it, therefore I have to have it. And he notes that it seems to be the, the motive that drives people to uh, activity. He says, it's insane. That's what drives us? To keep ahead with my neighbor or to match what he has? That's absolutely bankrupt. That's not even worth living over. That's what he's, he's saying. Look at in chapter 4, 4 to 6. And, and I saw, another observation, that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This, too, is meaningless, chasing after the wind, the fool folds his hand and he ruins himself. Better one hand with tranquility than two hands with toil and a chasing after the wind. What is he saying here? He sees materialism, this drive to get more and more and more and more stuff. He notes uh, that envy and ambition seem to be the motive for man's activity in verse 4. It's the rat race. We've all heard about it. We're the rats running in the race. And we see it. We get up every day. We run the cycle. It's the rat race. The rat race. I think tomorrow's Boston. Is that the Boston Marathon tomorrow, Dave? You told me that. Yeah, that's the great race, the great marathon. They, uh, they even cancel classes for Dave and Lynn's daughters up at the University of Boston on the Boston Marathon Day. That's the great race. But there's another race that's going on and. It can infect all of us, and it's everywhere. It's the rat race. It's trying to keep up with the Joneses. We don't even know them, but we're trying to keep up with them, or many people are. Every success in life seems to be greeted with envy instead of heartfelt praise. Somebody gets promoted, and uh, we're envious. We hate them. We wish we got it. I said it goes back when I was a playing freshman basketball in my high school. I wasn't good enough to be one of the starting five. I was the sixth man, so I spent a lot of time on the bench waiting for one of the five to fall and break their arm so that I could go in and play. That's a hatred. That's sinful. Envious. I want to be there. I want that. I want that position. I want that. They got it. I want it. Ambition. Ambition can be all right. You want a desire to move and do something. It's better than sitting on a log and doing anything. Well, much of it's filled with selfish envy, keeping up with the Joneses, rivalry. That's what Solomon looks at, this rat race. It's like uh, Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament, by way of an illustration. When David killed Goliath, he cut down that giant of a man, nine foot six, one stone, right there, down. Cut off his head. Kind of an interesting to do with his own sword. Held it up. Kind of ghastly if you think about it for our more sensitive day, <laughs> right? And then he, he became on the radio. Didn't have one then, but it would have been. One of the top tunes of the day. Saul has killed his thousand. David has killed his ten thousands. Guess what song the king didn't like? Hated that song. Got to kill him. Got to wipe him out. Wasn't happy that in God's plan... He wiped out Israel's great enemy. 
He was rivalous. He was envious. And he's pursued him and hunted him down like an animal. You know the story with David and Saul. Well, B, then you, you might ask, well, then why should anyone want to work so hard? If really all we are is then envied by our neighbors and those around us, why, why, why should we even try? Verse 5, why not just drop out? And there you go. Here we have the hippie movement of the 60s. And that's exactly what it was. Those in the 60s, and some of you are, don't, don't hide it, I can tell, some of you were there, and uh, you remember that, right? And our parents were on the rat race, and we're just going to drop out and smoke out and hang out and sit on the grass. Remember that? And do other things with the grass, right? As I recall, that was that, that day. Woodstock. You'll hear that. Hey, 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 we're at Woodstock. And I kind of thought, I was painting my father's house then, and I heard on the radio, everyone's going to Woodstock. Where's Woodstock? I asked my father, hey, what's that? It don't matter. You're not going. <laughs> They found out what it was. <laughs> That's what they did. They dropped out. That's what he's talking about. The fool here. Say, well, I'm not going to get involved in verse 4, the rat race, the envy thing, so I'm just going to sit and fold my hands. Just kind of just have a love-in or a commune living or all the right. You remember that? Just kind of drop out. Boy, oh boy, I remember those days. That was something. Hey, you do that, you're going to be in trouble. Because he goes, Solomon goes on to say along that line, where you fold your hands, that's laziness and idleness. It'll lead to your ruin. You're not going to have anything to be able to buy food with or live indoors and all the rest and all of that. So that's not the answer to the rat race, dropping out. That's what the hippies did. Well, instead, Solomon in verse 6 recommends moderation. He does. That's what he calls us for. Enjoy life with balance. Work hard. Play hard. My father used to say that. Don't focus solely on achievement and success. Don't just focus on that 24-7. Work hard. Work. Make as much money as you can, legally, rightfully, in the period of hours of the day that you do that. But then go home and relax and enjoy. Don't burn the, to keep the pedal to the metal all the time. You'll burn out and die in this crazy world. Enjoy Christ. Live for Him. Be a blessing. That's what he's saying. Live in balance. Don't work 80 hours a week. My father did that during his very busy times. He worked and worked and worked. It's no wonder. Not only that, sedentary and uh, other habits he had, he, uh, he died very early. He died at 54. Um, uh, it wasn't balanced. And I've, we've learned the, the value of that as we've talked and all the rest. And, and don't do that. Don't work 80 hours a week, week after week. Every week. You'll be dead. Say, no, I won't. Yeah. All right, we'll all show up at your funeral. You will be. Work a good 40. Work 50 hours. But then, right, enjoy yourself with the rest of it. Serve God and, and rest and enjoy the life that God has given to you. You have to... Buck up against that, uh, that old German in us. You know, we work and work and work and work, and we keep working. What are you doing? We work. We work. And then you get heart disease, you take your heart pills, then you work, you know. <laughs> Give me a break. It's an anesthesia for, it's, a, it's an attempt to dull the reality that Solomon's looking around, seeing this world, and he goes like, this is the insane asylum. That's not the answer, to keep the pedal to the metal and keep doing that. It isn't. 
live life in balance. It's okay to relax. God designed the seven, six, one rotation. Six days, thou shalt. Seven, one day, you should relax. Portions of every day, relax. Enjoy. Life's going quick. It is, and he's calling us to be aware of that. Materialism, the drive to get more and more and more, this ambition, this envy, this greed, he sees it. Number five, misplaced priorities, verses 7 to 12. Things are valued over people. Solomon sees this as well. In verse 7, he said, I saw, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, yet there was no end to his work. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I working or toiling, he asked. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together... They will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Well, this sounds similar to materialism, but it's a, it is, but it's a little bit different. It's really what I call misplaced priorities. It's the man who, in working, uh, focuses on things over people, things over relationships, family, friends, and others. He, uh, that seems to be the emphasis of verses 7 through 12. Solomon tells of this man who chose to work all the time to gain wealth, even though we had no one to share it with. That's insane. He's building this pile of uh, bigger and bigger wealth, but uh, for what? For what? It's the, like the fool the Lord talked about in the Gospels, right? He uh, he had filled up his barns, so he said, what am I going to do now? I'm going to build bigger barns to put more of my wealth in. And, and, and for what? And the Lord says, thou fool, do you not know that tonight your soul is required of you? Things valued over people is a messed up person. Be, be wary of that. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm, and I'm slow to come to this because... Uh, in our life, working and, 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 and focusing, and all these things were really accentuated and trained and built into me. Um, and so the value and uh, learning, the value of relationships and friendships, and I've learned, and Faith has been a big help to me in this, because she comes from such a family that that was so valued. Um, my father would say, hey, less talk, more work. Less talk, more work. Uh, meaning uh, talk or the relationships were not as important. I'm here to say I think that's upside down. We need to work. We need to labor. Don't be a bum. But it's the caviar and the sweetness and the fullness of life are our relationships. It's not the stuff, the stuff we work for. And here's a man, he's neglected the development of friends and family so he could accumulate more, and he has no one to share it with. I'm saying to you, that's a life like that is cold. That is cold, lonely. What, what did I write here? What else did I put down? Let's see. Such a life is cold. He's all alone. He's in his own world. 
He has no family left. He has no friends, nobody that he loves or she loves. Listen, I'm saying to you, if you are lonely, don't be lonely for the wrong reasons, that you've got your priorities mixed up and things before people. Be careful about that. Solomon noticed, I see it everywhere, he's saying. Here's a guy who worked hard, but he doesn't have any relationship. He has nobody to share his wealth with. It's the picture, really, of Ebenezer Scrooge, isn't it? Uh, Charles Dickens, a great Christmas classic. Scrooge, Scrooge, what, the guy was a miser, worked all the time, right? Lived alone, went home, you remember the play or the movie, you've seen it. Gets out his coins, he sits there at night, dark in the house, he's too cheap to even heat the place hardly. He's counting his silver coins, right? Could care about anybody, anywhere, even those that need mercy. Like the little boy that needed uh, medical. It's Ebenezer Scrooge. That's who Solomon's talking about in the picture here. Gathers his wealth, but his eyes are never satisfied. He focuses on, on things or wealth more than money. It's a huge nest egg, but he has no friends. I want to tell you, that's a very poor person. That's not a wealthy person. That's a very poor person indeed. You're going to leave it all behind. And nobody will show up at his funeral. Nobody will shed a tear. In fact, they'll be at good riddance. Get rid of that guy. Right? Because the guy was messed up. And Solomon says, I looked around. I see a lot of this too. I see a lot of it. The caviar, the sweetness, the, the sweet flavor of life is in the relationships. And sometimes we need to hear that and think about that and cultivate that and develop that. Solomon tells us that life is better met with two. He, he gives us the antidote. That's what he's talking about when he goes down in verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, that life is better met when there's someone else, a spouse, a friend, a children, a parent. It's better. It's better. It's better met. You have... A, assistance, and boy, don't we need help at times. We have comfort, and don't we need that? And at other points, it's back-to-back. Back. We need to uh, the, uh, fight against the enemy. That's what he's talking about. Life is not about making a living. One man writes, it's experiencing the delight of people. It's friendships. It's not being a Howard Hughes. That man was a billionaire, but he died like a, he died lower than a, a rat. You talk about a rat race billionaire, a reclusive, all by himself and afraid of germs and no relationships, that man died one of the poorest men that I've ever read of. Howard Hughes, with all his billions, was upside down with relationship, friendship, family versus things, money, that kind of thing. That's what he's talking about. Listen, life is buddies. Life is partners. It's friendship. It's being a loving, giving, kind, servant-hearted friend. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking just about that. So I'd urge you to develop friendship with willful acts of enjoyment. Protect your friends. Protect them by constant acts of courtesy and sensitivity. Stay in touch. Stay in touch with people. I remember that with uh, Wendell Kempton again at his funeral. So many people said, I don't know how he did it, but he was able to keep in touch with so many people. They all thought he was uh, their best friend. 
It was unbelievable. It's almost a spiritual gift that he could do that. It exhausts me to be able to do what he was able to do. But in a lesser degree, all of us ought to do that. Make phone calls and email and write. It's important. It's just not, not to developing your own career and advancement and to the neglect of these valuable, sweet friendships. It may be your family. As your kids become adults, they, become, they should be your dear friends. The relationship changes then as uh, adulthood. And it's sad when that doesn't happen. When uh, all is said and done, the only thing you'll have at your funeral be your family and your friends. Others won't come. People that work for you, if you have a business, they won't be there. They, uh, they'll probably begrudge they have to work while you're there, laid out. But your family and your friends will be there, and they'll be, there, they'll be the ones there shedding a tear because they'll really miss you. Type Cobb, a quote I saw, wrote the, the old great Detroit Tiger baseball player. He said, if I had it to do all over again, I would make more friends. And so that's what Solomon is saying. Trust God. Do good. Let the chips fall where they may. Enjoy life. And a part of that, the sweetness of it, is the sweetness of friendship and relationship. Whether it's in your family and beyond, it should be. I mean, sometimes, guys, we just need, as much as we may love our wife and spend our time with them, and we do, and I certainly do, but we just need to be with the guys. I think sometimes that's some of the great thing on Monday night when we do our men's fraternity. Now that's just ended for the semester. But just to, to be with the guys and the men's breakfast and some of the fun of painting yesterday and, and other things, the paintball that Hans is getting, just to hang out and be together. We don't have opportunity enough to do that and develop friendship. It adds to the quality of your life. I'm saying to you, if you're lonely, don't be lonely for the wrong reason. Develop and value people over things. And last, in verses 13 to 16, the lack of loyalty. Lack of loyalty. Fame is a passing thing. Here today, gone tomorrow. Fame is so fleeting, we say. Better is a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to take warning. Youth may come from prison to kingship. He may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. And I saw, there he is again, he's observing this, that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless. He's saying that the king is old, he's feeble, he doesn't even know that he can't even reign him, and he's going to die. And here comes the youth now, and he may even come from the lowest strata, like Joseph maybe, or maybe David, David is a shepherd. Now he's king. But uh, don't think that uh, you're going to have the fame and the popularity of the people forever. Because even when the same thing's going to happen to that youth, when he gets old, that happened to the old king that's died, people are going to say, ah, down with the king, get rid of the bomb, we'll take someone else. People are fickle like that. Fame is fleeting. Popularity is that way. It's that way. Someone has suggested, if you think it's not that way, become the president of Rotary sometimes. Some of you guys are in Rotary. Become the president. And when you finish your term, if you can finish it and half the people still uh, think well of you, you've done pretty good. If you're in a homeowner society, someone has said the same thing. Become the president of that. Work that for a couple of years. And then at the end of that time, if half of the people are still talking to you in your neighborhood, that's not bad. 
I'm telling you, it is a fleeting thing. How about pro sports? Oh, we got a great quarterback. Let him throw a few interceptions. Let him have a knee injury and struggle to come back. Let him get hit in the head a couple of times, and he's got semi-concussions going on and doesn't have the depth of field that he once had. And the crowds are booing the daylights on him. Get the bum out of here. We can't stand the guy. But he came riding in on the motorcycle. Didn't Pittsburgh have that happen, Mark, a couple years ago? And he had a tough year the second year, and then he's starting to come back. I mean, it's just, it's just like, what's the matter with people? They are totally disloyal. Disloyal. Up with him, down with him, and that just you know, changes like the wind. Solomon looked around, and he said, this is nuts. People are crazy. They just can't. There's no lack of stick-with-it loyalty. The ups and downs of our world. Wow. Fame is a passing thing. Well, what can we say? As Solomon made these observations, lessons for our life. Number one, what can we say about this? Number one, life in our fallen world is often crazy. It doesn't seem to make any sense at all. I mean, if you live in the same world I do, and I think you do, you have to admit it. I mean, it's like two and two is seven. It does make sense. It does make sense. At times, good guys finish last. It is. It's lions to Christians nothing as Christians are devoured, destroyed, as, uh, like sheep to the slaughter. Don't be surprised by that. God has told us that. There was a historic time fall in Genesis 3 that brought that about. It's the land of the dying, not the land of the living. The best is yet to come yet. Number two. Remember, the present injustice is not the end of the story. There's one thing that the Supreme Court is, and it's this. It's not supreme. There's a God in heaven who reigns, who will correct all the injustices in the day to come. He will. He rules and reigns, even in a world that's filled with injustice and inequity. Number three. Always keep your eye on the Lord. Always, always, always trust Him. I say to you again, it's, I get the imagery of Peter walking on the water amidst the storm at sea on the Sea of Galilee. We can take our eyes off and we tend to do that. Oh, it's windy up there, Lord. Oh, the waves are high. I can't swim. Oh, there's some, something down there, a shark with teeth. I'm in deep trouble. I'm doing something I can't. Walking out, and we take our eyes off the Lord, and down we go. Be careful about that. It doesn't matter if you're in a total eclipse. You keep looking up and keep your eyes fixed on Him, who is immortal, invisible, almighty God. Always keep your eyes fixed on the Lord, no matter what befalls you. No matter. He's the potter, we are the clay. Number four. Do not let what you cannot understand, and that's most of it. That's most of the story. I can't understand it. I can't. People will ask me, why, Pastor? Why did God allow this? Why? Why? Most of the time, I am completely clueless, and so are you. Do not let what you cannot understand so much. Destroy what you can enjoy. And in that Enjoy people. Enjoy relationship. Enjoy each other as a church family. 
and develop that, guard that, protect that. Oh, do that. That is the sweetness and the, and the caviar of life. And number five and last, God tells us in his word that you must be delivered from the penalty of your sin. If you're here and you never received Christ, the Lord is your Savior. The Bible says you're lost. You're without hope. There is a real hell that will burn forever and ever. Not my idea. It's not mine. We learned Wednesday night as we studied Jonathan Edwards' life and theology. Uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote uh, this. He said, looking at the world as it is, hell I understand. When I look at myself, when I look at people, that seems only fair. What I don't understand is heaven. How God could, should so provide that for some of us. That's the real puzzle. Hell. Oh, don't, if you're on your way to hell, today you can be saved from the penalty of your sin. Christ died. You must receive him as your Lord and Savior. Oh, I would urge you to do that. Don't let the day pass. Don't let the hour pass. Receive Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Well, you all saw, or most of you saw, Jack Nicholson, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. You've got to love the title to that. And if you hadn't seen it, some of you probably go down to Blockbuster and try and rent that. What was, he, what was Pastor talking about with that? It's a cuckoo world. Cuckoo. I mean, it's nuts. It's upside down. It's broken. And you can't connect the dots. But God doesn't mean there's not a story and a storyline. There is, and it's God and it's his alone. So let's trust him, shall we? Even if life often seems insane. 